Are we being chased by his grace? Maybe. Let's pop a top on this. <laughs> Never gets old. Hear the music. There's a war going down. Put your shield and your armor on. There's a war going down. Put your shield and your armor on. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the only one. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the holy one. What's up, guys and gals? You're listening to another episode of Digging Deeper. A Bible study series brought to you by Broken Record Ministries. Much less creepy. Very good. You I've been working that? on it. That was a good one. <laughs> you want to set the level for us? Okay, yeah. Did you guys know that Yoda has a last name? No, I did not. Do you know what, know what it is? Sure. It's Leahy Who. <laughs> Yoda Leahy Who. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I almost said I don't want to know, and now I kind of wish I had. I was hoping somebody would like actually go like Yoda Leahy, and then I was going to sing it, sing song it, but yeah, fantastic. I couldn't let it go by. <laughs> <laughs> so this week we're going to have a little bit of a one-off episode. Just told the guys that they can bring whatever verse or reference in they want to talk about. And we're also going to dig into Psalm 23, something I've been wanting to do for a while. I'm pretty excited about that. But before we drop the needle on that, let's open it up for a discussion. What's new in Christopia? Sunnyside. My Capitalist. Nice. Very good, right? Oh, good, right? Yeah. 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 Here we go. <laughs> right on. Well, like I said, I was telling you guys before, I was farm setting for the in-laws this week. So I didn't have a whole lot of time for reflection between animals and work and stuff like that so i got nothing this weekend and i mean nothing so i feel kind of bad like i'm bringing nothing to the table this week so you didn't have anything the previous week either Hmm? you didn't have anything the previous week either not really it's been two weeks since we recorded so you had two solid weeks to think of something that's true oh look at him calling me out Uh, (laughs) yeah two weeks and nothing happened well i mean there's stuff that happens but you know me, I'm, I can't remember what I had for dinner last night, so. That's my problem. Yeah. I mean, lots of little stuff, but, you know, like I could recap my whole week for you, but that might be boring, so, <laughs> every little thing, but, I'm just living life, I guess. I'll have something next week. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I just realized I didn't introduce this. Which is fine. This ain't about us anyway. Let's just leave it like that. Right on. No names. Keep right on going. Nobody has any idea who we are. It's fine. You did the whole, you know, Christopia and that's true. You know, Sunnyside and Mytopolis or My Capitalist. My Capitalist. Yeah. (laughs) My Capitalist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of surely by now they know who we are. Yeah, I would hope so. (laughs) And I guess you're just still no name Carl. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. (laughs) No nickname Carl. I prefer it. Would That's you, probably better off. Would you say a couple of weeks ago you're okay with being an appendix? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nobody knows what you do. Yeah, you're just nobody there. knows That's what me. you do. You're there. You're just there. <laughs> what you got, Sonny? Uh, well, um, like, I don't know. It was just been more or less of a coasting, you know, um, mm-hmm. these past two weeks of uh, kind of been a battle here and there kind of mostly in my mind 
it hasn't really been um, anything, you know, in particular. It's just been struggles here and there, um, feeling like, um, am I on the right path? Am I going the right way? Am I doing the right things? Um, Discerning his call on your life correctly. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's, sometimes it's, it's been rough and I've gotten kind of down and, but, um, you know, uh, not being able to do the podcast for a week kind of really messed with me. <laughs> yeah. I didn't enjoy that either. Uh, I, I mean, didn't realize I, how much I needed that until yeah, we didn't have it for a week. I'm, you know, I, I really enjoy this and really enjoy getting together and going over scripture and, and, uh, the week that we didn't, uh, that we didn't get together, I actually missed church too, because I ended up working. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, sometimes I have to work seven days a week and it was just like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, you know, I, I, tried and that was the thing like i kind of secluded myself in the midst of all that and uh i i really felt it you know and there's there's a danger in that Mm -hmm. you know there's a you know we had talked about how we struggled after you know we prayed over the city and all that stuff and it was just it was like a continuation of that and i I struggled with my mind mostly. It was just, you know, am I going the right way? Am I, am I enough? And, um, you know, we went through that a couple of times, you know, are we enough? Yeah, we're enough. You know, God says we're enough. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we've, we've established that. And even though we have established that and, you know, I've, I've even, you know, made posts about it. I made a video about it. I've, you know, I've, but I still struggle with it. You know, I still struggle with it whenever I'm alone, whenever I don't have, you know, my surrounding with, you know, Christians and, and, um, you know, people that I hold close to me because they, they keep me up. They keep me, you know, grounded in, in Christ. And, and, uh, it, it's been a little difficult. And, my buddy, don't, um, he, uh, God, I love that dude to death. He, he's, he will put it straight forward and just raw. And, and we had a, about an hour and a half long conversation yesterday and I, I needed that, you know, it was, it was intense and, um, I'm I'm grateful for those times because I didn't used to have those. I I used to not be able to verbal dump or mental dump on people. Mm-hmm. And a couple of people that I've, you know, acquired in my life, I can do that with. And I can just be like even if, you know, even if it some of it's screwed up. <laughs> you know, it's like here you go. This is what's on my mind and and, uh, you know, this is what's been going through my head and, you know, it's really awesome to have those people in my life now. Mm-hmm. So. It's, there's a reason that, you know, pack animals that hunt, you know, they tend to, they tend to take the weakest one and separate it from the herds. It's, it's the same MO the devil uses. And we don't have that fulfillment with other Christians. We, we become weak 
and then then he separates us and it's easier for him to take us down at that point and that's i mean that's exactly what you're describing i feel it too like you know not not getting that fulfillment for so long when you when you go a week with even just a week without it it's it's easier to to succumb to you know the devil's temptations yeah. sure it was like yesterday at church yesterday at church was exactly what i needed to hear and it was weird because just circumstances happened to where i was there by myself i didn't have anybody with me and i was kind of off alone by myself you know i didn't know any like i don't really know anybody at that church except for just you know a couple people say hi and stuff like that but you know and the message was exactly what i needed to hear and it gave me that little boost of of fulfillment again and uh, and it also reminds you that he sees yeah. You know, when, when the enemy puts those negative thoughts in your mind, like you've been forsaken or he's not, you know, the most high isn't here with you anymore. And then circumstances like that align perfectly that you get the message exactly what you need to hear. Only an almighty God could do that. Right. And he did that just for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's so mindful of you that he orchestrated that just for you. It's so easy to forget that though. Yeah. He does. He he does all these big things for us to reach out to us. We'll remember it for five minutes. We'll hold on to it for five minutes, and the first negative thought the devil puts back in our head, and that's all we think about. Yeah. We've got to get. You know, I you know, I'm speaking to myself because I'm bad about this. Really bad. I'm the worst about this. We've got to get past that, though. Yeah. We've got to get past, like you said in your sermon yesterday, the the doubts. We've got to get past that. Yeah. We've got to get past him him letting it. We let him so easily see doubt in our mind. Yeah. We let him too easily see doubt in our mind. We have got to stop. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. No, you're good. I, I mean, this, this is what this part's about. You know, we, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, somebody brings up a topic and kind of go with it. And like, I mean, and that's the thing. God's allowed me to have moments to where I've been able to talk about him. You know, um, one happened at work and one happened over the phone. Um, you know, I mean. I haven't really been put out there to the point where like, you know, just random things happen at the grocery store or, you know, which, you know, I don't really go to the grocery store that often. I'm kind of one of those guys that lives on salami, cheese and crackers. <laughs> <laughs> I probably go too often. That's my problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, um, but, uh, you know, it's, he makes moments for me and I cherish those moments. You know, and, you know, like, it makes me really think about it, and I love him for that. So, I mean, I'm, with that, I'm good. I'll pass it on to you, Micah. I think that's the reality of our walk, though, the nuts and bolts of it, because, you know, we know it in our mind. Okay, we're supposed to have victory. God takes away our doubts, yet we still have doubts. We still struggle. And that's where the body of believers comes in so vital that, like we've just talked about, you know, how we need each other to, for that camaraderie and that, that, that fellowship. But most importantly, we need it to encourage and to say, okay, I need to move my, my faith from what I know to, to really believing it. And I think, um, 
you know, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is a is an important story. And you know, they said our God can and our God will deliver us, but even if He doesn't. And so I think you know there comes a point in our time in our walk where we move from knowing that God can to believing that He will. Mm-hmm. I think that's what James talks about when he talks about you ask, you have not because you ask not because you ask amiss. You're asking, with, you know, you're doubting. Your, your double-minded man is unstable, you know. And then I think it goes on to say in that, in that book or that same chapter that don't expect that man to receive anything from the Lord when he's unstable. And, and I think it's important for us to, to, to move that. But we need each other to do that. Because we can know it in our head, and like you're talking about, you know, we we know it in our head, but then I don't really feel that way. I don't really, you know, our, our feelings play play tricks on us. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were talking about, like you mentioned, we were talking about Zacharias yesterday, and the angel gives him this message, this deliver, this this special message to him, and as he misses what the angel says. Because he's so focused on the how this how this is going to happen. This is this is not possible for it, for it to happen, and so he misses what the angel says about what his son's going to be. That's the father of John and, the Baptist, by the way. For yes. those of you listening, yeah, sorry. Just in case you don't know. Yep, sorry. But we've been kind of coming coming off sicknesses in our in our house, and so we've kind of passed it around our, the two special needs kids that we watch and Diane. Um, the, the little girl came home sick, not yesterday, but a week ago, Sunday, came home from church sick. And then I got it kind of Tuesday and Wednesday and Mitchell has it. And then Diane kind of has it, you know, kind of had it Thursday, Thursday, Friday. So we've kind of been passing around. We're all kind of on the tail end, <laughs> tail end of that, that sickness. But I think sometimes even that's God's way of saying, slow down. Mm-hmm. You know, you, we, we tend to, we tend to push through even, even when we're sick and even when we're not feeling well. And I think sometimes God has a way of saying, you know what? I want you to shut down. I want you to be still. I want you to rest. Mm-hmm. I want you to rest by the still waters for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we're not going to naturally always do that. And so sometimes he kind of makes you. Mm-hmm. But it's been a good time to reflect and, and pause and kind of reevaluate where, where you're at and, and, what's going on. And there's some things happened with a friend that um, just caught me, got me thinking a little bit. And so there's just lots of, lots of things. So, And I will say too, you mentioned that from James about how, yes. you know, he's not going to answer your prayer. If you're praying a mess, it's not because he's not there. It's not because he yes. doesn't see it. It's not because he doesn't care. It's, you know, it's like if you have a child that's misbehaving and in the middle of their misbehavior, you give them the cookie they're asking for, what does that do? It reinforces the bad behavior. You don't give them what they want while they're misbehaving until you correct the bad behavior. It's the same with the father. It's the same with our eternal father. He's not going to give us what we want while we're misbehaving because it just reinforces that bad behavior. You know, he, he disciplined, uh, Hebrews 12, seven, he disciplines us because he counts us as his children. But you have to receive the discipline. You have to be willing to receive it. And I think that's, you know, go ahead. No, you just got to accept the bad with the good too. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the biggest thing is, is I, like me, I stopped think or I stopped asking God for all kinds of stuff, you know, because every time I'd pray, I'd start asking, you know, do the, or, you know, 
help me with this or help me with that or do this or do that or, you know, protect me here, protect me there. You know, I, I, I started thanking him, you know, I started thanking, thanking him for the things that he has given me. And that, that changed a lot of things that mm-hmm. changed kind of pretty much who I started seeing him as being. Yeah. So yeah, we've got to shift away from just asking him for things constantly and have our primary focus be praise, worship, and gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. When we start from a posture of praise, worship, and gratitude, our hearts are, are much more aligned with his. Yes, and it's, it's much easier for us to see what his will is and what we should be asking for and how we should be asking it. Yes. You know, you mentioned what, what, you know, we went through the past couple of weeks because, you know, you mentioned praying and praying around the town and stuff. Cause I went through a period too. I honestly, I felt like I was being sifted yeah. pretty hard. And, you know, you mentioned sickness, Mike, I'm seeing that like the sickness that's going around is intense. And I think, I think we are in a period of sifting. I really do. And the whole purpose of the sifting is to remove what's not good. You know, he's going to shake us when there's, when we're holding on to uncleanness in our heart, when the churches are holding on to uncleanness in the assemblies, he's going to shake it out. And that shaking is going to become more and more and more severe until we finally let it go. You know, it's going to start with spiritual shaking and it it may end with physical shaking. I don't know. I don't know where it's headed, but we're, we're clearly being sifted because there's things that we're doing that he's not happy with and we're not receiving that discipline. And I know one of the things he really brought, there was a few things he brought to my attention the past couple of weeks that I had held in my heart that I deceived myself into believing weren't there, weren't an issue. And it took a, it took a sifting to, to acknowledge it. And one of those things was forgiveness. And I know we've talked about it before, but I, I'm going to retract a, something that I've said before because I think I had it wrong. And I'm going to read, first I'm going to read a reference from Luke chapter 6, verses 36 and 37. And this is Jesus, and he says, Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. So, in order to receive mercy, forgiveness, pardoning from the Father, you have to have that heart condition exhibiting that. And usually when we approach the topic of forgiveness, I'm always very careful to say there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. But there's a problem in that because I think what we have done is we've used the concept of reconciliation to make ourselves feel good about not forgiving somebody. They have to come on their knees and plead with us and acknowledge what they've done wrong before I'm willing to forgive. Now, what if, what if he approached us that way? Only forgave us for the sins that we specifically brought to him in tears and confessed only what if he wouldn't forgive us for sins we were ignorant of what if he wouldn't forgive us for sins that we were too ashamed to speak out loud because that's how we treat our neighbor we say if this person doesn't come to me specifically and beg my forgiveness for this specific sin i have in mind that they've committed against me i'm not going to forgive them that's how we've mishandled reconciliation that's how i've mishandled reconciliation you know what if they're not even aware that they sinned against us What if they're so ashamed of the sin they committed that they're afraid to even approach us? And we use that excuse to say, I'm not going to forgive them. Jesus is telling us here that the Father will reciprocate that on us. We've got to be cautious with that. We need to forgive and love first. Now, I'm not saying, now, reconciliation is an important concept to understand because I'm not saying that if you're a victim of violence that you should, you know, cozy up with that person again if if they're still violent. 
right? That's where the understanding and the concept of reconciliation matters. But when you're so overemphasizing reconciliation, like I've been guilty of in the past, that you're using that as, as an excuse to just give forgiveness lip service, there's a problem. You've messed up the balance. Because the Father doesn't just give lip service to forgiveness when it comes to us. And if we want to have the heart of the Father, we've got to be willing to do that too. Hey, he's sifting me hard on this. I'm going to read a story before we close out this top segment. I get this newsletter from Voice of the Martyrs. And it has these different stories about persecutions and things like that that Christians are experiencing around the world that should make us feel ashamed for even mentioning the word persecution as American Christians right now. Right. We get into an argument at the supermarket we think we're being persecuted or not. And this is a story about a guy named Dan Juma from Nigeria. Now I'm just going to read. It says this. About eight years ago, Islamic insurgents attacked Danjuma's village, burning homes and killing Christians. When they saw Danjuma, who was 13 at the time, some of the attackers slashed his head with a machete, carved out his right eye, hacked at his left arm, and left him for dead. Later, as survivors dug graves for those who had been killed, they heard Don Juma crying and shouting. Upon seeing his horrible condition, they took him to the nearest hospital where he was stabilized and treated. Months, just months after the attack, Don Juma told a frontline worker that he had forgiven those who had mutilated him and left him for dead. Quote, I forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. If they had love, they wouldn't behave that way. End quote. A 13-year-old boy who had been mutilated, mutilated by Islamic extremists who, by the way, were not sorry. They didn't come to him and apologize and seek reconciliation. And he forgave them. Now, who do you think is closer, close, more closely aligned with the heart of the father? That kid? Or one of us who has, you know, a, a minor slight from our neighbor and we say, I'm not going to forgive them until they come to me and plead with me for it. <laughs> who has the heart of the father in that scenario, right? That kid does. We need to be seeking that. Love changes the world. Unforgiveness won't. Unforgiveness leaves it in the sad, starry, sorry state that it is. Got to be better. I didn't mean to bring us all down. This is like the, the happy, jokey segment. I'm sorry. It should have been the final thought, I guess. Uh, it's all right. No, that, that's a sore subject for me right now. You know, um, there's there's things that I I can forgive people for, and then there's some things that I hold on to it. And, you know, I, um, it's kind of been my my thing for a minute is forgiveness and um god ain't got me yet on it <laughs> i haven't i haven't uh i haven't been in tune with his ways on this it's still still being human right now mm -hmm. so um, it's, it's not a quick easy snap your fingers no, and it's, no. it's easily I, corrected fix and that's you know i and that's the process. That's the the molding of of who God wants us to be. You know, we mm -hmm. we end up becoming, you know, fine molded in the in the furnace, you know, and um it's time will come. Mm 
Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, cute or, you know, big word there, time. Yeah. It takes time. So yeah, I find myself struggling with how far to go to seek the reconciliation. Like, I know there's situations where in my heart I have forgiven that person, but where do I draw the line on, you know, recon, you know, seeking the reconciliation with that person? Like, you know, it's <laughs> like you said, if it's a situation where you're being abused, don't, you're not, I don't think you're forced to, to seek reconciliation in those forgiveness. Yes, for sure. But, um, that's, that's, that's my struggle in some of those situations is when, when, when do I, I guess, I don't know if you should ever stop seeking reconciliation, but when, how do you make, or when do you make peace with the, that it's just, there's some things that aren't going to be reconciled. You can forgive them, but just like, I don't know. I guess that I'm repeating myself over and over. Where's the, where's the line at? That's what I struggle with. I think for me in my heart, the issue is that when we, when we too overemphasize the idea of reconciliation, we find ourselves in our mind and our heart constantly replaying the hurt. And mm-hmm. if we're doing that, we haven't truly forgiven them because we're holding that, that sin that they committed against us over their head perpetually and never letting it go. Does that make sense? We're not really, if, if we're not really letting it go, if we're, if we're constantly holding that moment in time over their head, we haven't truly forgiven. And I'm not saying it's easy, especially if you've been hurt by that person in, in a severe way. I'm talking like not just saying something that you didn't like, but actually abused or something. That's not easy to do. I'm not saying it is, and neither is, is Jesus there. He's not saying it's easy. All right, but we got to remember that we hurt him. When we rebel against him, he says in Ezekiel chapter 18, I think he did, maybe it's no, chapter 6, that our sin hurts him. Yes. It, it physically causes him pain, right? And he chooses to forgive. Now, even, even sinners like Manasseh that they committed some of the most horrific sins imaginable, he chooses not to hold that over their head. And we've got to strive toward aligning our heart there. And it starts with acknowledgement, right? Like I say, it's not just, oh, I'm going to be forgiving today and everything's fixed. It's right. all good. Yeah. It starts with acknowledging that there's an issue. Right. right. And striving toward correcting that issue, but also acknowledging that you can't fix it on your own. Right. The only one that can really fix it is him. We have to acknowledge that unforgiveness is a sin. Let's just say, say what it is. Cause we're, we hesitate with saying that unforgiveness is a sin, but it is. If Jesus is telling us that we can't receive forgiveness, if we're not forgiving, then he's saying it is a sin. It's a sin, <laughs> right? Let's say what it actually is and acknowledge that it's a sin and confess that to him and acknowledge that he's the only one that can take the dish that we are and wipe the filth out. Mm -hmm. But we have to acknowledge that there's filth there for him to do it. And when we, when we use reconciliation to deceive ourselves into believing that we're, we're somehow righteous for not forgiving or we're in the right for not forgiving, we're not acknowledging it, right? We're not confessing it. And he's not going to wipe out the dish until we acknowledge there's a problem. Because we'll just go right back to the old bad behavior. If we haven't acknowledged the issue, when he cleans it, we're just going to make ourselves filthy again with the same sin, right? And it's that way with any sin, any sin in our life. It starts with acknowledging it and acknowledging that he has to be the one that wipes the dish out, but we have to cooperate with the process of walking forward and not sprinkling dirt back in. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move forward. 
that's all I got. You guys got anything else? No. I think that's a good place to take our break. This week, we're going to play a song called Spirit Song by Marty Ray Project. Really good. Just listen to this this week, actually. It's awesome. Very powerful. And uh, be sure and stick around, and we will dig into our main topic this week, which I don't know, I guess it's a sporadic main topic, <laughs> but that's good. Like I say, stick around, and we'll talk at you in a few. Thank you. 
laid him down and rolled the stone. The tomb was empty when they came. Cause after three, he rose again. Good timing. I don't even think you planned that. No, I did not. We'll just go with that. We're back, folks. This is what I have to deal with on a weekly basis. I just want you to see behind the curtain a little bit. And the total lack of professionalism in this room. So again, that was Spirit Song by Marty Ray Project. And this week, I told the guys that they could just bring whatever to the table and we'd just, we'd just dig into it. Uh, rather than having kind of a pre-planned, you know, group study. So. That said, the only one that brought anything was Sonny. So, right. well, Mike, uh, I'm, glaring in, in, at, I'm glaring at Chris. In, Micah, yeah. in Micah's defense, he didn't know. I, yes, I that's don't true. Think. No, so I didn't it was Mike. only Chris. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Mike is wow. totally innocent. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Even after I shared it, break too. <laughs> Throw me under the bus. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna hand it over to Sonny so he can lead lead the first part, and then I'll lead the second part in Psalm 23. Okay, so um, I'm going to read something from one of my daily readings and then go into one of the scriptures. Um, People are, well, hold on. Because the world is in an abnormal fallen condition, people tend to think that chance governs the universe. (laughs) Events may seem to occur randomly with little to no meaning. People who view this the world this way have overlooked one basic fact, the limitations of human understanding. What you know of the world you hold on, sorry. What you know of the world you inhabit is the only is only the tip of the iceberg. Su- submerged beneath the surface of the visible world are mysteries too vast for you to comprehend. If you could only see how close I am to you and how constantly I work on your behalf, you would never again doubt that I am wonderfully caring for you. Mm. Um, and that kind of goes into, you know, belief and understanding how close he is to us. Every single day, every single minute, every single second of every single moment of our lifespan. You know, um, I really wanted to to emphasize this because I think a lot of people new to their faith, new to the 
the way of, of life, you know, because a lot of people are scared right now. They see what our world is and they see how much it's changed and how drastic it is. And some people that are starting to change their, their thinking and they're reaching out for something and they don't know what, and they're starting to be like, well, maybe it's this God thing. Maybe it's this Jesus thing. And, you know, they're, they're lost and they don't really realize how close he really is to them. And, um, the scripture that goes with it that I wanted to go into, it says, Which, uh, oh, what is? it's a uh, first Peter five, uh, seven through 11. Sorry. <laughs> You're not sorry. I watched you do it. You did it on purpose. It was an extra little oomph in the page flip. Um, and this is out of the New Living Translation. It might say it a little bit different than your guys's, but um, give all your worries and care to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for the great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore you, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you in a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. Mm. And, you know, this goes back to some of our stuff that we've said this morning already, uh, you know, being strong in your faith and remember your family of believers, you know, our, our, you know, communion together and being able to rely on one another. And, you know, whenever we don't have that, we miss it. We miss that time. And like it just it it really flowed in together of kind of how we talked <laughs> about this morning and everything and I was gonna say I I had no clue what you were bringing and I brought up the the pack hunting mentality of mm-hmm. of what would be lions or wolves yeah and it's a they're around you like a roaring lion yeah. Mm-hmm. but yeah I mean that's kind of I think that's the important thing about the body of Christ though is that we realize. It's not a Sunday thing. It's not just a once a week thing or a small group thing. Right. You know, it's mm-hmm. a, it's an all the time camaraderie doing life together. Yeah. And that's, and that's what's, that's what's important. And that's what we miss. I think, I think we think of, okay, this is my, this is my church group or this is my small group or this is this Bible study or this podcast. And, we miss the reality that it, that it's doing life together because as you do life together, you are going to be able to combat the, the trickery of the devil and the, and the combatants of what he does and what he throws at you because you have somebody to go through it with. You know, I think <clears throat> all of us know each other fairly well. I mean, if something, if one of us was in danger, we would do what we could to, you know, step in and help, you right. know, and that's that's part of it. When the devil attacks, 
he, you know, that's, that's why he's less effective when we're unified together mm-hmm. than when we're divided. We, we like to say we're a family, but we don't really act like it. Yeah. We really don't. You know, this, this once a week thing where we treat each other almost like acquaintances. Yeah. That's not acting like a family. Right. It really isn't. And, you know, let's be real. The early church was likely gathering yes. daily. Yes. Absolutely. Most likely they were. It, you know, definitely they were. I mean, it, yeah. At the very least, they were gathering more than we are. Yes. It wasn't just a once a week thing. Yeah. Like you said, yeah. you know, you come in, you get your... Too often we approach faith like you come you come in once a week to get your TED talk, mm-hmm. and then you go back the the rest of your week and you sort of maybe apply some of the things that you were that you were told by the human standing in front of you, mm-hmm. and and you rarely actually dig into what the Father has to say, yeah. and you certainly don't fully apply what the Father has to say. You just apply little snippets that you enjoyed that spoke to you personally from the TED talk from the person you put above you. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not denigrating leaders. That's, that's, you know, that's sure. established throughout scripture that he does establish leaders to represent him. However, first and foremost is his word. Yes. That needs yeah. to pattern your life and your existence. Everything needs to be tested against the word of the father. And if anything disagrees with the word of the father, throw it out. Yep. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Without throwing the person out. Right. But we, we don't really approach it like that. Like I say, we almost, we almost treat it like, like we have a generation of Christianity that's, that's obsessed with like self-help books. <laughs> and that's kind of how we, we approach church. It's like a self-help seminar is really all it is. Yeah. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, almost, it's honestly kind of selfish because we go there to get what we need, but we're not really there to be a family to those around us to lift them up. And I think that's really where we've kind of gone astray a lot. Well, we have the false concept that church is the answer. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, if you just come to church, that's the answer. Well, church is a tool. Yes, it's important to get with the body of believers. And yes, it's important to learn together. And the Bible instructs us to do that. Right. But, you know, he says, don't forsake assembling together. And so that, that all that's important, but. But it's not church, your savior. Exactly. Church is not the fix all, you know, just because somebody attends church doesn't mean that all their problems are going to be fixed. It's, it's that development and that growing and that maturing and and it takes one-on-one interaction to do that. Mm-hmm. It takes that discipleship that you've talked about so often that we fall way short on most of the time. Yeah. So I want to point out a couple of things in my translation also. Um, I'm reading from the the NASB. Mm-hmm. And in verse eight, and the NLT kind of left this out entirely, but verse eight says, be of sober spirit. Then it says, be on the alert. I think that's kind of important. Yeah. I think that's kind of important. Yeah, for sure. And also in verse 10, it words it a little bit different. I'm just going to read that whole verse out. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. And this is a pause there. This is going to really apply with something that I wanted to focus on in Psalm 23. He's the God of all grace and he calls you. He draws you. Will himself perfect confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I think we very often like to overlook that perfect word. Yeah. We're, we're so focused on, 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 and it's true. Like this isn't, I'm, I'm not, it's true that we're never going to be perfect, but we focus so much on our limitations as humans that we, we neglect the reality that he tells us that his work in us is striving to perfect us. Yeah. Our goal is always perfection. We know that we'll fall short. But we don't use that knowing of falling short as an excuse to continually fall short. Yeah. 
I turned uh, yesterday to it's Ezekiel chapter 43, and he's receiving a vision of the future temple. And it's, it's really a vision of the messianic kingdom, right? He's seeing the new Jerusalem and he's seeing the future, the, the, the earth future that the father has in store for us. And really the temple is a metaphor for us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the temple is, is, is really a physical metaphor of what he wants for us, how he wants to dwell within us. And there's a point in that reference. He's talking about the reestablishment of the temple and he's talking about the rededication of the altar, which is like him purifying our heart, right? Our heart is the altar. And he's talking about how he's, he's going to rededicate that and purify that. But there's a point where he talks about the law for the temple. And in the NLT, it says, and I think the NLT renders this the best, it says, this is the law for the temple, absolute holiness. Absolute holiness. That's his goal for us. Yes. And when we are, when we do receive our new bodies, that is what the reality will be. A complete purging of all sin. Absolute holiness. He is an absolutely holy God. And he created us to be absolutely holy children. Yep. We live in an absolutely unholy world, but the goal is to bring us to a place of absolute holiness, which is why he, he brings these shakings and these siftings and this discipline into our world because he's purging us of the sin that we're trying to hold on to. Mm. We're trying to vice grip onto our sin because we want it both ways. We want to hold on to the sin while we serve a holy God. And he's telling us you can't. Yep. At some point, you have to let go of the sin in order to hold on to your holy God. I think that's important too. And, you know, you back up to verse six, it says, humble yourself, humble, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. I think that's what, you know, humble ourselves before God, mm-hmm. you know, yes, casting all our care, casting all our anxieties on him, but to realize who we're dealing with, you know, realize who we're, who, who is our father. And so humble, to humble ourselves before him. It's so cool you point that out because I didn't notice that. And I had that verse in my mind this week when he was really like mm-hmm. laying some things on me, but I couldn't remember where it was. Yeah. And honestly, I, I, I wouldn't have noticed that if you hadn't pointed that out. <laughs> it was one <laughs> verse back. That's awesome. And, you know, yeah. the, the, the narrative there is in order to be exalted in the body, in the body of Messiah, you have to humble yourself first. Yes. I told that story once. Uh, I don't think it was since we've come to Broken Record. I think it may have been on our previous podcast. But I told that story of, uh, man, I can't even remember his name. He was, he was, he's a, he's, he lived centuries ago. He lived during the time of Martin Luther and he was having a dispute with Martin Luther. Remember who I'm talking about? Yeah. I don't remember the name, but I remember the story. Zwingli. Was that his last name? I wish I could tell you, brother. I can't remember the name. I remember the story. I think it was Zwingli. And and he, he was having a dispute and he was, he was struggling with how to, to best approach the dispute with, with his peer, right? And he went on a hike on one of the Alps and he saw a goat and it, they were on this very narrow pass. There was no way to, 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 to go through the pass without being on a pass, right? So this, this goat he sees is trying to, to climb up the mountain on this narrow pass, and he meets another goat trying to climb down the mountain on the same narrow pass. And he says they, they meet each other and they can't pass each other because there's not enough space. There's only enough space for one. And they sort of lower their heads like they're about to butt heads with each other. And then he said something happened that was paradigm shifting for him on how to approach these disputes. And he said that the goat that was trying to climb the mountain lowered itself and lay down on the ground and allowed the goat trying to climb down the mountain to climb over his back. And because he lowered himself, 
it allowed the other one to climb over him so that it cleared the space for him to ascend. And that's exactly what Peter's describing here. If you want to ascend the mountain of God, you have to lower yourself, even if that means being walked on, even if that means allowing yourself to be walked on in a, in a way that's not even really fair. You know, maybe it's not fair that you, like, why do you have to be walked on? Why couldn't the other one lower itself? doesn't matter. It's not your concern. Your job is to humble yourself. Humble yourself, even if that means being walked on, and it will clear the way to ascend the mountain. But if you continue butting heads and refusing to humble yourself and, and, and swelling up with pride, the way forward is never going to be cleared. That's what mm. Peter's talking about here. If you want the way forward to be cleared, if you, want, if you want clarity on your calling, it starts with humbling yourself. And honestly, that kind of applies to what we talked about on the top half with forgiveness. Forgiveness, even when they're not sorry, is the ultimate act of humility. Forgiving someone who's not sorry is the ultimate act of humility. Yep. It doesn't get more humble than that. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's think about it. it is. I I don't know. This I just came up with this this morning. I was drinking my coffee and I was just like, ooh, this is pretty good. It is very good. Very confirming for me. How do you how do you take that phrase, Micah, be of sober spirit? I think it means we need to be watchful, alert, paying attention. I think um, we become very lax in our in our faith sometimes in our walk, and so to be sober minded or to be sober spirited, be alert, be watchful, be discerning. Discerning, yes. Discerning mm-hmm. is a good word. Yes, I do think it's important because it's in that same thought of the adversary, the devil prowling like a lion yes. to devour mm-hmm. you. He says that in that same con. That yeah. same context. Yes. My, my my translation is be self controlled and alert. That's good too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you know that takes us back to the fruits of the spirit. Galatians chapter six, five, five. Okay, the fruits of the spirit. One of them is it's typically translated as is self controlled, but I think probably a better word for that is temperance. Yep. Because self controlled implies it's something that you can you can manifest on your own, but we know the fruit of the spirit can only be manifested by the spirit working in us. And temperance better better implies the concept of working together with the spirit to control your flesh nature. You can't control it. You can't self-control your flesh nature, but you, you can work together with the spirit to bring it into submission. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's kind of what, what it's talking about here. Control, you know, let your flesh nature be controlled and then you'll see the, the schemes of the devil as he tries to bring in attacks, doubts, negative thoughts, uh, rank heresy into the assemblies. Right, you know, yep. compromise into the assembly that doesn't appear to be rank heresy, but it's leading there. You'll you'll be better discerning to recognize those things because he's gonna his his assault is gonna be multifaceted. Yes, he's he's gonna pull out all the stops to bring the people of God down, and and we need to be sober sober minded, sober of spirit, in order to recognize those schemes so that we can resist. Because if we don't see the attack, how can we resist it? Right. If we don't see it coming, how can we resist? That's why it's important to be grounded in God's word. I absolutely agree. We need to be studying this a lot more than we do. Yeah. Because I think sometimes we, and this is the sad state sometimes of where many believers are, is we want to come in and we want to have a pastor regurgitate what they've learned. We want to sit and soak it in. Then we want to go and be on our merry way and we're not really studying or learning or growing ourselves. We're 
basically just regurgitating what they've done. Mm-hmm. And and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, like you said, God God does establish leaders and establish people in the in those roles, but it's important for us to study ourselves and be be alert and be be looking out for things and watching watching for things because they're gonna we need to have each other's back. We do. And I will say too, I think one of the issues that we have in the church the way it's currently structured is that, you know, when you look at the first century example, it was, it wasn't just one leader sitting at the top and everybody else absorbing whatever they said. It was a group of leaders. Yeah. Right? So you had accountability. So if, if that one leader said something that wasn't right, they had other leaders be like, that's, yeah. that's wrong. And this is why we need to correct that. But too often we just go to one person and, you know, we have this idea that, well, they're completely and totally led by the spirit. So everything that's going to come out of their mouth while they're standing on stage is 100% the word of God. And I don't need to test any of that. And that's, that's dangerous. That's a dangerous attitude to have about any human being because you're borderline treating them like a Messiah. You're borderline deifying them. And that's very dangerous. I'm not, not saying you should be a fault finder because I've erred on that side too. Like, you know, don't come in looking for fault, but at the same time, test what you're taught. Yeah. And if it doesn't align with what the father says, then align with what the father says, yeah. you know, and maybe even come to him about it. See how humble they are. Absolutely. You know? Come to him the right way, come to right. him privately. And but, I think that's a big thing too, is, you know, you have to, you have to actually do some, some of the searching yourself. You can't just rely on going to church on Sundays. Yeah. You know, you have to actually get into the word yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, you might be able to go out to, a, you know, possibly a podcast. You might be able to go to um, a book or, you know, some some article in a magazine. You know, you might be able to go f- somewhere and find something that intrigues you, and then you might have to build off of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he tells us to to gain knowledge, to gain wisdom, to, you know, and I see that knowledge and that wisdom coming from his word, yes. not, not from, you know, carnal things, not from the worldly things. And, you know, I, I see understanding coming from all of this, mm-hmm. not just certain. Okay. Well, I'm, wise in this area or I, I have this knowledge about me or I can do these things or, you know, it, it's an overall understanding of what God is, who he is, what we're supposed to do, who we're supposed to be. Yeah. And, you know, that comes with time that comes with studying and that's not going to, it's not going to come to you from a once a week deal at, you know, the pulpit. So and that's why it's important that you mention the holiness, the absolute holiness, because I think sometimes we, it's real easy for us to chalk up our actions to, well, we have a flesh nature. Well, we're sinful people. So because we're sinful nature, we have a sinful, because we're sinful people, then this is, this is kind of what we do, you know? And we almost chalk it up as flippantly and chalk it up as, well, it's not as bad as really as it is because our sin, yeah, we're sinners and we have this sinful nature. But the reality is God demands holiness. He demands for us to be, to be holy. 
And so we are to be striving, striving that way. So there is repentance mm-hmm. when we do fail. Are we going to sin? Of course we are. Are we going to fail? Yes, absolutely, royally, over and over again. But when we do, we have that advocate with the Father that, that we are to be be confessing and repenting and be be on our knees before him and repenting that to the Father and asking him for, for forgiveness. Yeah, it doesn't become an excuse. Yeah, we don't just chalk it up to sinful nature. We, we, we're broken by that because we're broken by the things that the Father is broken about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that attitude too easily leads to the mishandling of the Christian liberty phrase. Yeah. Oh, well, this sin's okay now because we have liberty. We have liberty to sin against the Father because Jesus. That's that's a gross mishandling of that phrase. It is. When you're trying to sanitize things like idolatry, which I see the church doing, yep. you know, at time of upload, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> there's, oh, there's you're creeping up on the door. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, here we go. Before you kick that door in. <laughs> Let me be a little bit vague. Semi-vague. When you take a long dead saint and you give him powers of omniscience, omnipotence, and you, you teach kids to leave idol to leave offerings for them at night, you've turned them into a deity, and that's idolatry. Yes, I'm. I'm sorry. It is. And Jesus did not come to sanitize idolatry materialism. You don't honor him through through practicing the things that he preached against. You just don't. Christian liberty does not cover sinning against the Father, right? And we need to be very cautious in that and finding excuses to sin because he died a horrific death. Our sin is so serious and so severe and demands so much justice that he had to die a horrific, horrific death to cover our sin. He didn't do that so that we could put a big grin on our face and, and continue willingly and happily and enthusiastically doing the things that put him on that cross to begin with. That does not honor him. Right. Right. If we truly loved him and truly appreciated this, the horrible sacrifice that he made for us, we would strive to turn away from the things that put him in that position to begin with. We would. That's just the cold, hard truth. I think that's all I have on that. That reference was really good. Like I say, we came in blind. That was great. I enjoyed that. Yay. <laughs> Yay me. <laughs> and that actually, that segues really well into what I wanted to talk about, which is Psalm 23. So we'll go ahead and turn to that. Cool. We'll go through that because I think it's, I think it really describes some very similar concepts there. Yes. While you guys are turning to it, like one thing that I'll say about the, this is the famous Good Shepherd Psalm. Most people know it. A lot of believers have it memorized. What I think is really cool about this, it was written by David obviously. And when he was called and anointed by the most high to be king, he was a shepherd. So what we have here is David being taught by the most high about his nature, utilizing David's personal life experience. Mm. And I think that's so cool. And I, I think that's something that he does with a lot of us. I think he'll, he'll approach us and, and he'll evaluate our life experiences and he'll use that to teach us about his character, how his character applies to us, because I believe that's what he's doing with David here. Yes, He's saying, you know, David, you want to understand who I am to you? Here. You remember what it was like when you were a shepherd? This is what I am to you. You know, and, and David could really understand that. You know, he could really apply that. He could say, oh, yeah, I get it now. You know, be open to that. God's going to reveal himself to you using your, your experiences. You know, test it. You know, test the spirit. You know, I, 
there's there's wisdom in that to make sure it's not just your own inner voice, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. he will approach you and reveal himself to you using the experiences that you carry within yourself. And it's so cool that he's yes. willing to do that, that he's such a personal God that's so interested in his direct relationship with us individually that he's willing to take the time to reveal himself in a way like he does with David here. It's so mm-hmm. cool. Amen. I'm going to read the first part and we'll discuss it. We'll just discuss this in, in three sections. So Psalm 23, starting in verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I'm going to stop there. One of the first things that I notice about this and what I love is that why is it that we don't want? Why is it that we want for nothing? Because he does everything for us. Right. You notice when he says, David says, I shall not want, and then follows it with four he does statements. Mm-hmm. I shall not want because my good shepherd does this, and my good shepherd does this, and my good shepherd does this. He provides everything. Now, anybody that knows anything about sheep knows that they're helpless. Yes. It's, they are helpless. It's funny because this is what the sermon was about on Sunday, yesterday. Are you serious? Yeah. It, and this is what spoke to me so much. <laughs> As I've been over here grinning and just cheesing. <laughs> and I've just been waiting. I've just been waiting to tell you. <laughs> That's awesome. And it's, oh, I love it because the the way that he explained he said i hate being a sheep i hate being <laughs> referred to as a sheep because i had to take care of sheep for 2 years and guess what they're dumb <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that ignorant and, and just and he wandering frustrating and, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, and he said he he had this one and he had got his head stuck in the gate and like, how do you get your head stuck in the gate trying to get grass over here whenever you have plenty over here? <laughs> and he was because they want what they don't have. Right? It's so like yeah. us. And it was funny. It's funny because you know Jesus. Jesus said, "I am the gate. I am the way." <laughs> and you know, and like he made all these references, and it like it's all coming down to this. And it, I I love these things. It excites me it's awesome (laughs) everything worked together and then now this and i'm just like oh god (laughs) and what's even what's even worse is anybody that's ever dealt with a sheep that's got its head stuck in a gate they will literally kill themselves fighting against you to help when you're trying to help them get their head out of that gate and it's as simple as grab their snout pull it forward and push them back but they fight and they'll literally break their own neck fighting against that help. Yeah. And that's what he said. And he said, you know, and that's why he hated to be referred to as a sheep, but he under understands it, you know? And, and I, I mean, I get it too. You know, some people die fighting for stuff that they don't even need to be fighting for, Mm -hmm. you know, and they, they fight for things that are of this world, not of God. You know, and I, like, I get it. I get the terminology and, you know, used to, I didn't. Now it's, it, it, it's all coming to, everything's clicking. <laughs> the closer you get to him, the more, 
the more acutely aware of your own wandering you become. And then you see this song much differently. Yeah. When you get on the other side of him, really, really rest, truly rescuing you, you read this Psalm and you're like, Oh yeah, that was me. Yep. That was me. You know, like the, like the, the, the sheep with, with its head in the gate, we constantly want to hold on to our sin. You know what I mean? Our, our sins on the other side of that gate. I really want it. I really want that. And that's why the good shepherd is so important because you know, what's implied by a good shepherd is that he genuinely truly cares about the sheep. Yes. He's not the sort of shepherd that's going to get mad. Right. And, and beat the sheep. He's not the sort of shepherd that's going to let him just break their neck because he doesn't really care. He's the sort of shepherd that, that genuinely cares about each one, even when they're acting a fool. Yeah. Right. Even when they're wandering away, even when they're hurting themselves, he wants to care for the sheep because he wants the good for the sheep. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it reminds us of our sufficiency in Christ, that he is enough. Yes. We don't always, I mean, we we live in a world of wants and desires, but he's enough. I don't worry about where my next meal is coming from because he's the shepherd. I don't worry about where I'm going to sleep because he's the shepherd. I don't worry about... What you know, you're going to drink because he's yeah, going to pull the water cause out. Because he's going to lead me. He's going to lead me by the... But he is enough. Our sufficiency is in Christ and that if he does nothing else for us other than die on the cross, which is plenty, then it's enough. Yes. Yeah. This is, you know, and I mentioned, I hadn't planned on talking about it, but I mentioned that that Christian liberty phrase. And, you know, once we, as as his sheep, yeah, it is a little bit insulting at first. Mm-hmm. But as his sheep, when we realize how prone we are to wander and when we finally surrender ourselves to the good shepherd, it's a little bit freeing. It's more than a little bit freeing because, you know, you you don't have to provide for yourself because the shepherd's going to. You don't have to you don't have to be led on the right path or you don't have to find the right path for yourself because the shepherd's going to lead you there. When you just surrender to the shepherd. It's freeing. That's what Christian liberty is. Christian liberty is not is is not a license to sin. Christian liberty is recognizing that Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the one who provides for you. He is the one who corrects you. He is the one who cleans the filth off of you. He is the one that does all the work for you. If you just surrender to him mm-hmm. and stop wandering, that's yeah. what Christian liberty is. Yeah. It's understanding that you don't have to do it on your own. Right. You don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to figure out how to how to keep yourself alive because as sheep as the sheep you can't. Yeah. Sheep can't survive on their own. They can't see good. They you know, they yeah. don't they don't have any defenses. No. They don't have anything. Their defense is to play dead when a predator comes, which yeah. is the worst thing you can do. Right. I mean lay here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll make it easy for you. Yeah. And I mean that that's that's the biggest thing is like you know, in in some instances and in some scenarios we are defenseless you know without without god without jesus i mean we don't have any ground to stand on any anything to be able to use as weapons anything to be able to use as as a foundation to be able to put ourselves on to have a foothold on anything and that's been a hard thing for me to understand I think that was a hard thing for me to understand in the very beginning that I never did until recently. And it's been an eye opener. A specific word I wanted to focus on here also before we move on is restores. He restores my soul. When you look at that, it's, um, 
It's the Hebrew shub. Shub. Uh, Jeremiah uses this same word in a very, very similar, really an identical context in Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 19, where he says, I will, well, it's the most high speaking through Jeremiah. And he says, I will restore Shub Israel to his pasture. He's talking about Israel as sheep there. It says he'll restore. What I found fascinating though, that word, it's, it can be translated as restore, to turn back, to return often how you see it, but it's always, it's almost always in the context of, or or very often in the context of repentance. Mm. It's actually the same word in Hebrew for teshubah. It's the same root for to repent. So you could, you could actually word this as he repents my soul. Think about that for a second. He repents my soul. We always think of repentance as something that we do entirely on our own, Mm -hmm. right? As long as we repent, then he'll accept us. But it seems to be what he's kind of implying here is that the, the work of repentance actually starts with him. It starts with him, not us. That's a little paradigm shifting. Yeah. Like that, that brings the, the good shepherd doing everything for the sheep into a completely new light. When I was thinking about this, I had recently read something. It was from A.W. Tozer from his book, The Pursuit of God. I'm going to read this excerpt real quick because I think it very much applies to this. And it says this, Christian theology teaches the doctrine of prevenient grace, prevenient meaning to come before, which briefly stated means this, that before a man can seek God, God must first have sought the man. Before a sinful man can think a right thought about God, there must have been a work of enlightenment done within him. Imperfect it may be, but a true work nonetheless, and the secret cause of all desiring and seeking and praying which may follow. We pursue God because and only because he has first put an urge within us that spurs us to the pursuit. No man can come to me, said our Lord, except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And it is by this very prevenient drawling that God takes from us every vestige of credit for the act of coming. The impulse to pursue God originates with God, but the outward, the outworking of that impulse is our following heart after him. And all the time we are pursuing him, we are already in his hand. So A.W. Tozer, stop there. A.W. Tozer isn't saying that it doesn't require us to respond in some way. He's saying that the, the outworking is given to us, but it has to start with him planting that seed of even the desire to repent within our heart. It has to start with him. If he's truly sovereign, and he's truly in, in control of all, then it has got to start with him. And again, that's deliberating. Like we're more like sheep than I think we even realize. I find it interesting too, in, in going back to Jeremiah and Lamentations, he uses this phrase in Lamentations chapter 5, verse 21. And in the ESV, it says, Restore us to yourself, O Yahweh, that we may be restored. And again, Restored both times as Shub. Repent us to yourself, O Yahweh, that we may be repented. That's powerful. That's so powerful. It reminds me of, I think it's Psalm 139. Yes, Psalm 139, verse 13 says, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Maybe it's not that part. 
Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I won't edit that part out. Oh, Sorry. Psalm, Psalm 113, verse 16, it says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. He's saying that before we were even born, he'd already pre-planned every step we would take. He had it all planned out, every bit of it. And that would imply that even our return to him was planned out. The circumstances that led to us returning to him was all planned out. He does it all. Like, uh, we talk about him as being almighty, but I don't think we really, really fully comprehend what that truly means. It's, mm-hmm. it's oh, honestly no kind of mind-boggling. Yeah, no I, I was going to say, that goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning was the, the amount of, for lack of a better term, cosmic energy that we don't understand that's through him mm-hmm. is just like, we'll never be able to fathom like the, the amount of time that he has spent with us before, before we were born. Like, you know, yeah. like I just, it's, I can't comprehend that, that you knew an entire life's path before we were even born. Yeah. You know, yeah, every, every hair on our head, was counted yeah mm-hmm. and it it's actually um this was the other verse that i was actually going to go with uh romans eight twenty eight to 29 uh, and we know that god and we know that god causes everything to work together for the good of those who love god and are called according to his purpose for them for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so his son could be the firstborn. Yeah. God caused, knew in advance, chose. Yeah. Before we even knew, we, before we even loved him, he was already working out the circumstances to get us to the place where we would. He plants the urge within us. He creates the circumstances to cause us to walk out that urge. He does it all. Yeah. All you got to do is just surrender to the good shepherd. Literally all you got to do. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that there's not an outworking, right? That, that he's expecting you to, that's part of surrender. Part of surrender is understanding the outworking. Mm -hmm. Part of that outworking is studying his word and seeking to apply it, knowing that he's going to guide you in that path of righteousness the entire way, every step. And it's all planned out. It's mind blowing. It's pretty awesome. It is. It is mind blowing, and back in your your passage, that Psalm one thirty nine, one of the verses that I always look at when I when I get discouraged and to get that you know get that discouraging thought is when you jump to verse seventeen, it says, "How precious are the thoughts towards me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more than the sand of the sea." I mean, think about that. That's what God's thinking about you all the time. Yeah. He's thinking precious thoughts. He's not thinking thoughts of judgment. He's not thinking thoughts of, you know, ridicule like we often think, you know, the old man beaten, you know, you know, the old ogre in the sky. He's a God of love. He's a God that thinks precious thoughts about you. And if you should try to count them, they outnumber the grain of sand. Mm-hmm. It's innumerable amount of thoughts that he thinks about you all the time. And, and it's, it's just amazing. It's amazing to think of that kind of, that kind of shepherding, that kind of watch care that he gives over, over our lives. Yeah. That's also the Psalm when you back up a little bit and, you know, applying to what 
what we had talked about in the top half about, you know, those doubts of, is he really here? Mm-hmm. That's also the psalm where he says, where could I go to yes. escape your presence? Yeah. Nowhere. Right. Your presence is everywhere. We can't escape his presence. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, it may be that he, he removes his manifest presence from us to discipline us, to draw us back to himself again, but we're never outside of his presence. Yep. His presence is, is with us always. It's his manifest presence we need to be seeking, mm. right? And that's part of surrendering to the shepherd, not wandering. When yes. you wander, you're outside of the manifest presence of the, of the good shepherd because you're not in his proximity anymore until he brings you back, right? And then you're in that manifest presence again. Those are two different concepts. It's a little bit more than we have time to get into today probably, but that is a different thing. I think our pride gets in the way too. I think that's why we don't like to re- be referred to as sheep so often. Mm-hmm. We see We see all the similarities of what sheep are i'm not gonna i'm not a sheep yeah but yeah we, we get that prideful I'm spirit beat I'm, on I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not i'm gonna i'm gonna go my own yeah. go my own path well that's exactly well, what a sheep does yeah, exactly <laughs> right you're acting like a sheep <laughs> yeah you want to you want to see yourself as the the knight putting on the full armor <laughs> and uh-huh. wielding the flaming sword of you know right. and then you then you're like well you're actually a sheep. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I want to be the sheep dog. And I'm like, yeah. I look back on my life. I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm a filthy, <laughs> worthless sheep. I, I, I might've looked like him, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Stop there. There's so much in every verse in this psalm. Yeah, it's yes. one of the it's one of the shortest chapters in the entire Bible, and every verse is there's more loaded into this psalm than most I've read. Oh man, yes. Um, shadow of death. There is really interesting. It's it's psalm of death in Hebrew, and it actually means a, like a a deep darkness or a death like shadow. So it's it's talking about walking through walking through uh walking through a really bad place. Let's just put it that way. You're walking through through the land of the enemy. Because in the context, you're surrounded by evil. So even though I walk through this deep, this valley of death-like shadows, I'll fear no evil, which means that evil's around when you're in that valley. Evil's near. It says, doesn't have to fear because you are with me. What's really cool about this, and I think you'll appreciate this, Micah, because you gave one of the, you know, Chris and I, one of our, our favorite analogies is the circle. We don't think of God as the top of the list with everything else following. We think of him as the center of the circle. And when our life is the circle and he's the center of everything, then we won't go wrong because he's our focus. We've kept him in the proper focus. Psalm 23 is exactly 55 words in Hebrew. Exactly 55 words. That phrase, you are with me, is ki ata amadi in Hebrew. And it is the exact precise center of that psalm. There are exactly 26 Hebrew words before and exactly 26 Hebrew words after in 26 is the numerical value of the, of the tetragrammaton, the name of God in Hebrew. Hmm. He is the exact center of the psalm. Psalm 23, you are with me is the precise center. That's awesome. Which tells a story in and of itself. Yes. If he's the central focus of our life, we will not wander, we will not go wrong. If. The, the whole reason we don't have to fear evil is because our central focus is on the good shepherd. Yep. We don't focus on the evil, right? We don't look at the fangs of the, of the roaring lion seeking to devour us. We look to the shepherd. That's right. Because by the way, how do we resist the devil? How do we resist that roaring lion? It's not by defending ourselves because we're sheep. We can't. 
It's by crying out to the good shepherd. Yep. That's how we resist. The only way you can resist the devil is by crying out to Jesus, crying out to Yeshua, crying out to your good shepherd to rescue you because he's the only one that can. You can't rescue yourself. Yep. And we see that picture with that, that next part there, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's in that same context, right? You're walking yep. through the valley of death-like shadows and you're comforted not by your own ability to defend yourself, but by his rod and his staff. And these were, you know, these were iconic uh, uh, objects carried by a shepherd. Mm -hmm. They still are in a lot of areas, but, you know, especially back then, they were very iconic. Every, every shepherd carried a rod and a staff, and they had two different purposes. They had very specific functions. The, the staff was a, a short club that was used to defend the sheep against aggressors, against predators. It was a defensive weapon is what it was. So what he's saying is I'm comforted by your rod because even when the wolves come to attack, you'll defend me with violence if necessary to keep me safe. Mm -hmm. The good shepherd is not above violence. He's saying the good shepherd will use violence to defend his sheep if he has to. And that was one, one of the things that the, the preacher um, specified on. You always think of the shepherd as kind of this kind of a weaker man, you know, but he said back then they, they were warriors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, they used to f fight off all kinds of different animals and and everything else. I mean, and often know, by themselves. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I mean, they were by themselves and taking on you know vicious animals to be able to protect these sheep. Yeah, you know, and they they were warriors. Mm -hmm. And he kind of really specified on that, and I was just like, oh, I've never really thought of it that way. Oh yeah. Well, and let's, let's connect that because we can connect that to the, to the reference that you brought at the beginning, Sonny, and with David, because he's using David's personal experience to explain how he is to us. The most high is using David's experience as a shepherd to explain to us how he is as our shepherd. And one of the things that David talked about before he killed Goliath was that, you know, I'm, I may not be trained in your army, but I'm a warrior too. And one of the specific examples he gave was him killing, I believe it was a lion with and his a bear yeah. and a bear with his bare hands. Yeah. yeah. He was no joke. And he did that to protect the sheep. Mm -hmm. And I, th I believe that David and the most high has that specific experience in mind when he says, that's the kind of shepherd I am for you. When the enemy comes to attack, I will, I will choke them out with my bare hands if I have to, to keep yeah. you safe. That's what he's telling us here. I mean, to be able to take out a bear and a lion. Yeah. <laughs> That takes one heck of a man. Mm -hmm. I ain't that man. <laughs> no, no, I'm not either. <clears throat> I mean, I'm a city boy. Yeah. Right. Farmer, farmer like Chris over there. <laughs> I, as I say, I've, I've always liked this cause it was to me, it's more, it's, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm on the same, the same book or the same level as, as you're thinking Carl, but it's always, to me, it's always been, you know, he's, there's, there's two hands, right? At, at the, and we'll use them simultaneously. On, on the one hand, you have the rod, which is for protection. And then on the other hand, you have the staff or the crook for guidance. So, yes, which is the staff he's talking about. Yeah, here. the staff. Yeah. yeah. It's also, yeah, uh, you know, it could be a, just a stick or sometimes it was a crook, but yeah, but it was, it was more for guiding the sheep. So, you know, on the one hand, he's protecting. On the other hand, he's guiding, and he's not afraid to use them simultaneously. Mm -hmm. But both of them bring the same level of comfort. Your protection brings the same amount of comfort as your guidance does. Yes. Yeah, and that's 
I was going to bring that up because and I, and I put down my Bible. It's, I'm such interesting side note. I put down my Bible to like make the hand gestures <laughs> for the podcast audience. <laughs> and I'm going to pick my Bible back up. <laughs> no, that was, I was going to bring the staff up as well. Uh, if you look that up on Google, uh, just look up shepherd staff and you'll see pictures of it. It's that iconic staff that has that, that curve at the top. Mm-hmm. They would, they would soften the wood and create that curve at the top of, of the staff, and they would carry that. And that had a purpose. And the, the whole purpose of that staff, it, was a, it, was, it wasn't a short, a short staff or a short club like the rod would be. It was an elongated staff. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just for walking. It was, it was to nudge the sheep. So you would use it to nudge the sheep to guide them onto the right path to keep them from wandering because sheep were prone to wander. And the hook part was if a sheep fell into like a pit or a ditch or something like that because they wandered, you could loop the hook around their neck and you could pull them back up out of the pit and bring them back up onto the path with you. And that's what David, or that's what the Most High is telling David here, that, that you can be comforted with the rod because I'll use that to defend you and you can be comforted with the staff because I'll use that to guide you. I'll guide you on the paths of righteousness. The reason you're able to walk the paths of righteousness, the good shepherd is telling us, is because I use the staff to guide you there. You'll never, you'll never, you'll never have to wonder where to go. If you're surrendered to the good shepherd and you're surrendered to his staff, then you'll never have to wonder where to go because I'll guide you there. And if you do wander, I'll pull you back. And that's what the comfort is. The comfort is that he protects and guides, even when we're in this valley of death-like shadows. <laughs> We have the ability to walk through a horrifying, terrible valley, knowing if our focus, our central focus is on our good shepherd, we don't have to fear because he's right there, right there to protect us and guide us through it to the other side. Mm-hmm. Oh, so many pits he's pulled us out of. Oh, man. Yeah, right? I mean, Too many to count. Yeah. I, I will say, too, that, you know, it, it, it strikes me, too, that, that most of the time this was going on from behind the sheep. As as Carl said, you know, if if you have that faith that he's back there and you just walk with him and trust in him, he's gonna keep you on that path. Mm. Right. He you sometimes you need lead. There's other times that you just need to trust that he's there and just keep going. Because mm-hmm. I mean he'll he'll beat off the enemies that need to be taken care of and he'll he'll pull you back on the path when you need to pull back. Right. So it's it's almost that lead from behind that that's that's important. I think it's important to bring that up too, leading from behind, because when he when he tasks us to be a shepherd, because you you'll you see him criticize the shepherds of Israel frequently in the prophets, and one of the, the the big criticisms he had of them was that they were putting themselves ahead of the sheep. They weren't leading from behind. They were putting themselves ahead of the sheep because they were only concerned with their own advancement. And they, they had zero concern whatsoever for when the sheep wander, because how can you tell a sheep is wandering when you're walking in front of them and not, you're not even paying attention to the flock? And that's what he's telling the bad shepherds is that you've, you've put yourself at the lead. You've put yourself ahead of, of all the sheep and you're not rightly guiding them. They're wandering away into pits and you're just leaving them there because you're not concerned with them. You're not leading from the back like a good shepherd does. And he's telling David that's what he does. As our good shepherd, he leads from behind. That's not, it's not to say that he's not preeminent. He is, but he's so concerned with our welfare that he's willing to walk behind us to guide us in the right path, not because he's elevating us above himself. I'm not saying that. Don't misconstrue what I'm saying. I'm saying that his concern for us is such that he's willing to lower himself in order to rightly guide us. We see that pictured with Jesus. When he comes down from heaven into, into the form that he took mm. and died on a cross, you can't be more humble and lowered than he was. 
And he was willing to do that to show that he is the good shepherd that leads from behind. He is the good shepherd that is willing to, to put himself in the back to guide us onto the right path, right? His, his act of sacrifice is what really culminates this Psalm 23 into, into fruition of, of what David was seeing the good shepherd do. Jesus proved that out in his, in, in, when he came down from heaven to, to accomplish our atonement for us. When the Father allowed that to happen, he proved what a good shepherd he truly is. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. I don't have any specific thoughts on that unless somebody else does. Hmm. I just think it's, you know, in, in this, in this, in this time period, you know, there was, there was no greater honor for somebody to be than to be invited to somebody's dinner to their, to their table to eat with them. Cause that was almost them saying that you, you're at my table. You're, you're my equal. So it's not lost on me that he would that he would prepare that table for us to sit down with our enemies as equals. Mm-hmm. And in 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 the sense of that person shouldn't be your enemy. That's another human being. It's 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 a bro, it's a potential brother in Christ. Sit sit down at that table, be equals with them and share God with them share in the, you know, the, what he's done, that your cup is overflowing, share that with them. That that's, that's one of the things to me, like, why would he want you to, you know, why would he prepare a table for you to sit with your enemies? Well, I mean, it's a slippery slope, but you know, I mean, he sat with sinners and it, with the soul, with the sole purpose of redeeming them. Right. So why shouldn't we sit with our enemies with the sole purpose of redeeming them? I do think his goal, I, I'm sorry. I do think his goal is for repentance for those who have made themselves an enemy, but I'm going to, I'm going to disagree on, on how this is framed. Cause I don't believe he's saying he prepares the table for the enemies to sit with him. I think what he's saying here is that he prepares the table for David and for the sheep while the enemies look on in shame. I think the context here is that the enemies see the table being prepared for David and it's, it's to their shame, right? I don't think the table's for them. It's in their presence. They see it, but they're not sitting there. Right. Now, obviously they could repent and have a, have a place made for them too. But I think, I, I believe the way he's framing this is David has those who wish him harm in mind, those who hate the most high in mind. And he's saying that those people, they sought my end and, and they sought, they, they, they sought to live a life against the most high and they're going to see that they were wrong and it's going to fill them with shame. I think, yeah, I think you, it's that, that idea of safety in the presence of en- enemies. You know, that's why he says the presence there. And I think it's the same picture that you get when the nation of Israel is getting ready to cross the Red Sea and they come and God puts that pillar of fire and stops the Egyptian army right dead in their tracks where they can't go any further. And <clears throat> I believe it's that aspect that in the midst of the enemy being right out there, right out, they can see them, they know they're coming, and yet God takes all night to blow the Red Sea 
across that they can sit there and dwell in safety in the presence of danger in the presence of, of, of the enemy all around us. And I think the picture for us is that in the presence of, of enemies in the presence of everything going on and all the attacks that the devil may throw at us, we don't fear we're, we're in safety. We're in comfort because we know the shepherd has placed us there and that he's going to protect us even in the midst of conflict in the midst of, of our enemies. Mm Mm-hmm. And I will so. clarify that like part of the reason I believe this is partly because of the way the sentence is framed, but it's also partly because this is still in the same context, even though it's the next verse, this is still in the same context of walking through the valley of death, like shadow and, and not needing to fear evil. Yeah. So the, the evil that you don't have to fear is directly linked with the enemies that see the table prepared before you. You see what I'm saying? And so it's it, like, like he's linking the enemies here with evil. Mm-hmm and saying that they'll look on and see their own defeat and see that, that those who surrender to the good shepherd are because they humbled themselves or exalted to link it back to Peter. We talked about earlier because they humbled themselves and surrendered to the sheep, to the shepherd. They're exalted while they, they see defeat because they chose to make themselves an enemy of the good shepherd because he has a rod for a reason. And his rod is to be used against our enemies until they make themselves our friends, (laughs) you know, and that has to be an act of repentance. Yep. I think there's a good point. I, I don't know, remember if I've heard it from you, Carl, or if it was from someone else. I want to say it was you. But uh, in reference to what you said, Chris, about you know the importance of having, you know, some, you know, inviting somebody to your table back then. you know, And uh, I think this references how long they wanted you to say by how much your cup was filled up. And, you know, my cup is over, my cup overflows with blessings. You know, that means eternity. You know, it's just overflowing over and over and over, you know, and, um, you know, the blessings just keep coming, you know, and, you know, if the cup was just filled up for a little while, you're only there for a little while. I mean, you know, you're, you're not there for very long. You're meant to stay for just a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. But each time that it, this is referenced to Jesus or to God or to, you know, the relationship that we have with him, it's over, always, always, almost every single time overflowed. Yep. And which is eternity. I just thought it was a good point. No, no, it is. <laughs> and I think it's important when you say, Chris, too, that, you know, you prepare a table for somebody is a great honor. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's mm-hmm. a really important point because who's preparing the table here? Oh, you want, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> God. Yeah. Sorry. I was like, oh, that was, that was a question. Not rhetorical. It was a question. Sorry. So yeah. The good, the good shepherd. God, the father, he's yes. preparing the table. Who's he preparing the table for? Us. Us. Yeah. Right? right. David in this context, but us in general. He's not preparing it for himself and just letting us sit there. He's preparing the table for us. He doesn't have to do that. He's, he's this, this whole verse is just, it's, it's a picture of him lavishing his love on us. That's what this is picturing for us. He prepares the table for us because he loves us. He anoints our head with oil because he loves us. And again, that's shepherd language too. You know, they would, they would anoint the sheep's head with oil to protect them from, from parasites and things like yeah. that. But I also think David has in mind how he was anointed as king mm-hmm. when he, he didn't feel like he even deserved it or was worthy of it. And right. still the most high chose to anoint him anyway, because he loved him. 
The cup overflows because he loves us. He doesn't have to keep filling our cup up. He doesn't have to, to, to make our cup just supernaturally, continuously overflow. He does not have to do that. He does that because he loves us. This is a picture of his love for those who surrender to him. His sheep, the sheep that he's called and drawn to himself. This is a picture of how much he loves them. And he's letting the enemy look on. And I think in the context here, this doesn't have to be human enemies, right? They're, you're walking through the valley of evil. You know, again, to link it back to Peter, so cool that you picked that because I think there's a lot of parallel here. You know, our enemy that prowls around like a roaring lion is the devil. I think part of what's in view here is that the devil's going to see those he sought to destroy have a table prepared for them. And he's going to have to see that before his end. I think he's going to have to see the reality of his defeat, of his eternal ultimate defeat before it's before it's all over for him. I think that's partly what's in view here that, you know, the one that caused us so much trouble in this life, there's an end for him. Mm-hmm. He's already defeated. And that, that defeat is going to come to fruition someday. You know what I mean? And we're going to be there sitting at that table when that happens. If we just surrender. Verse six, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Comes back to the table. I will live in the house of the Lord forever. That that means a lot. I'm not worthy. (laughs) (laughs) None of us are. It's not about worthiness. Sorry, Bob. Sorry, not sorry. He, you know, no matter what struggles life brings in our path. They are necessary. We can trust that his staff guided us through those struggles for a reason. But at the end of it is forever in his, in in his forever home, man, that's. And that's the ultimate goal. That's the ultimate pursuit, if you will. Why we're even here. Right. Why do we live the way we, we do? Why, why do we live our life in honor of the King why do we live our life in honor of the Father? Because someday we're going to spend eternity with him. And as James again, I hate to refer to James again, but... Oh, don't hate uh, That's my, James, one of my favorite books. You know, James says, life is a vapor. Mm-hmm. You know, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. So even if we live to be the oldest people alive, compared to eternity with the Savior, yeah. it's going to be awesome. Yep. And that's the ultimate goal. And is to spend eternity. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yep. Be in his presence with the Father forever. Well, and you know you're getting, you, you, your heart is being aligned correctly when the thought of just sitting in his presence mm. without end, when you can think about that and say, you know what, that's enough. That's enough. I don't need yeah. anything else. That's that's the goal. When you get to that place, you know your heart's more aligned. Because there, you know, when, I was, when I was younger, I would think about that and be like, that'd be boring. Because my heart wasn't aligned right yet. The thought of just sitting in his presence, I'm like, ah, that sounds kind of boring. There's nothing to do. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, man, that's all I want. Yeah. That's all I want. If I could just, if, if time could just evaporate and I could just sit in his presence without end, man, that's the life. That's definitely the goal. Uh, I'm mocking Chris a little bit, but yeah. not vocally. I'm sorry. No, yeah, I was gonna say they're not getting that. That you're not <laughs> mocking. 
me. But no, it's just, I mean, it kind of goes back to that, to what I shared about, uh, you know, I guess this, I don't know if you're ready for final thoughts, but. Not quite yet. Okay. Well, I'll just say that. I'll just say that. I'll take that <laughs> Never away mind. Pocket. <laughs> well, I was going to say, it's good. I was going to get kind of into a final thought mentality. So let's put that in my pocket. TB, TBD. Yeah. Determined. We'll go to final thoughts in just a second. First, I want to look at that line because it's really important. It was really my main focus. What, I, what really just fascinated me about this psalm when I dug into it more is surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Mm. When you dig into that, loving kindness there, I don't know how it's, it, it's, it's translated a few different ways. It can be translated as mercy, um, enduring love. It's, it's really describing, it's cassette in Hebrew, and it's, it's, it's really hard to properly translate cassette because it's, so, it's, it's such a rich, all-encompassing term, and it's really something that can only be exhibited by the Father himself, by the Almighty. But the best way that most believers are going to understand cassette is grace, true, true divine grace. That's what he's saying. So his grace, his goodness and his grace will follow me. But it's that word follow that's awesome. Follow is a terrible translation. That's what right. most translations say. What does yours say? Unfailing love. Unfailing love for Kassed. Yeah, right. that's that's a really good way to translate Kassed. Yeah. Unfailing, enduring love. Follow is radaf in Hebrew. And it really does not mean follow. This, this one says pursue. Pursue is a better word for it. It's a much better word for it. But even that's probably not strong enough. Yeah. Um, Radaf occurs in the Hebrew text 144 times. And in the vast majority of those occurrences, it's, well, as far as what I saw, I believe the vast, a, a great preponderance of the occurrences of that word, it's talking about a military pursuit of an enemy or in the context of a hunter hunting prey, like a hunt, like a, like a relentless hunt of your prey. For example, I'll, I'll turn to it real quick. The very first occurrence of that word is in Genesis chapter 14. Okay, it's in the context of when Lot and his people had been taken captive. And then Ab- Abraham, Abram at the time, heard about it, right? So he gathers his forces to, to, to rescue Lot. And it says, When Abram, this is, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 14, verse 14. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he led out his trained men born in his house, 318, and went in pursuit, as far as Dan. Pursuit is Radaf there. Verse 15, he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued Radaf, them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So the very and that's that's the best way to understand the meaning of a, of a term is to see how it's used elsewhere, mm-hmm. and typically elsewhere it's used to describe either military pursuit or even persecution. It can describe like Jeremiah uses that word to describe himself being persecuted multiple times. So that said, another way to say this verse would be, the goodness and grace of our good shepherd will relentlessly pursue us all the days of our lives so that we can live with him in his house forever. Man, how powerful is that? Mm. When you combine that with our definition of the term restore, shub, he plants the urge within us. 
he plants the desire to repent within us. He orchestrates, he, he, his staff orchestrates all of the circumstances that leads, leads us to him. And until we get to that place where we can sit at his table, he relentlessly, relentlessly pursues us until he gets us there. That is true, unfailing, supernatural love. And that's our good shepherd. Let's pull the needle off the record. Final thoughts. Starting with you, Chris. You already started yours. <laughs> no, nah, I was just going to say that, um, you know, I think this goes back to, to you know, you know my, my uh, testimony that I shared that for a long time I was trying to find reason on earth. And I think the simple, the simple, answer was there there is no reason on earth it's it's about just having the i like the way you put that having the peace of just being in his presence for eternity that's that's the that's the goal the the not being afraid of leaving this world because we know exactly where we're going and exactly what we're going to be doing for the rest of our, I should say, rest of our lives, the rest of our being, the rest of time. Yep. The, the, to take away time is like, again, it's one of those things where we just, we can't imagine that depth. It, it's his time is timeless. To be with him forever is timeless. That's sorry, my final thought. I mean, I'll just kind of jump off of yours. Um, you know, his time being timeless. What is it? Our 1,000 years is his one day. Yeah. You know, and uh, just imagine being a 1,000 years old, you know, and in the time, you know, aging in the time frame of one day, a 1,000 years. You know, I can't even fathom you know, a hundred years, let alone a thousand. But I think the biggest thing that I want to take, take away from this is the consistency of God showing the same message over and over and over and being able to bring just say two, three different things together and saying one message. Mm -hmm. It's the adaptability of being able to, have different minds think alike in the same aspect because it shows that God has his hand in it. Yeah. Because I, I love these moments. I love these times because I just, they make me all warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> Gives you chills. Yeah. And I, I love it whenever they happen and it seems like they're happening a lot. Yeah. You know? And, um, the more you seek them, the more you'll see it it just it gives me faith it gives me respect it gives me hope and a whole different other variety of emotions and feelings because and these are these times that i needed for these past two weeks and you know I'd, i've been needing them and uh 
I love them. I, they make me feel like there's there's more to come. So, Micah? I think to acknowledge that Christ is the shepherd in our life is to acknowledge that he is the sole guide. That he, I'm allowing him to lead me. I'm not like the sheep that wanders astray and the one that he's constantly trying to be after to pursue, even though he will, he will relentlessly pursue us. But to be that one that just follows and says, I'm going to follow your leading. You are the shepherd. You are the guide. You are sufficient in my life. You're all I need. So therefore, I'm going to surrender to that. That's hard. Yeah, it is. There are a lot of examples we could think of, of, of those who were guided by the good shepherd, even before they deserved it, that had that, that unction and urge planted within them. But one of the examples I think of, and I've been thinking about him a lot the past couple of weeks is Jacob. I've been thinking a lot about Jacob. When you look at the life of Jacob, it's pretty, it's stunning that God chose him and it should give us all hope because when Jacob starts out, he's not the best dude. I mean, really, I mean, he gets the birthright by deceit, you know, and not that that's what gained him the birthright. He had already been chosen, right? Which goes back to what we talked about earlier. You know, he, he causes and he chooses and he draws and that's what he did for Jacob. But even before Jacob was really surrendered, like we're talking about, to that, to that better way, God was working. You know, after he flees because he had deceived his own brother, that's when he sees the vision of the ladder. Yeah. You know, after he, after he committed what I would call a sin, he sees the vision of the ladder, which is really kind of a, a reference to Jesus. Who, who is the bridge that takes us back to the Father? It's, it's Jesus. Right? He's the only way we can ascend. But when I really, when I really think of this, we've, we've talked a lot about surrendering, surrendering to the good shepherd. You have to think about his wrestling match. You've got to. So when he's, he's coming back home, it's been what 15 years that he spent away and he's coming back home and he's kind of afraid because he doesn't know if, if Esau still wants him dead. Esau, his brother had threatened to kill him the next time he saw him. So he didn't know what this reunion was going to be like. Right. And he's isolated himself. He's, he's fearful and he separates himself from everyone else. And that's when we're told that the angel of the most high appears to him and they wrestle. Now, I don't know why. I don't know why it entered, entered. You know, I do know why, because it's, it's, it's symbolic. And I think that, that, that God just gave him the urge to want to do that. Cause it seems weird. We've talked about that before, Chris, like, you know, he's the only person that, that sees, you know, <laughs> most people see the angel of the most high and they're like, they fall down in reverence or something yeah. like that. And, and Jacob's like, you know what? Let's, I want to wrestle let's go a couple guy. rounds. Let's see yeah. where this goes. Whatever your dukes. <laughs> so he wrestles with the angel of the most high and, and he holds on to him and says, I'm not going to let go until I, until I receive a blessing. Right. And that's when his hip is wrenched out of place is that permanent, I believe that permanent reminder. He's changed, right? He's, he's given a limp for the rest of his life. And that's when his name changes. So before his name was Jacob, and that means supplanter or deceiver. It's actually what that name means. God gives him a new name there, and that's when he becomes Israel. And that, 
that name can be translated two ways, and I think they're both accurate because it, it, it both pictures how he was changed. It can mean contending with God, but it can also mean God contends. So it's, it's that picture of wrestling with him until you finally surrender. And it's also a picture of how God pursues us. He's contending over us until he has all of us. He didn't have all of Jacob yet. It wasn't until he wrenched his hip out of place and forced Jacob to surrender that he received the blessing of a transformed life. Because mm. I believe it's possible that Jacob had material blessing in mind when he said that. It's at least possible. And then he, I, I think that's when he was taught what the true blessing is. The true blessing is surrendering to our good shepherd and letting him change us there. And I guess that's the question that I have. And it's going to kind of be a tease for some topics I have planned out moving forward. Topics related to where is our walk leading us and how do we approach the presence? What's our, what, what's our heart condition when we approach the presence? Are we approaching the presence like Jacob did with a desire to receive the blessing and be changed by it? to be changed by his presence? Are we being led in our walk in accordance with that change? Or are we continuing to wander and stray like restless sheep? Mm. That's going to be kind of the, the, the overarching question for the next few weeks. And it really all goes back to that story about Jacob, that account of Jacob. Are we surrendering? Are we holding on to him and saying, I'm not going to let go until I receive a blessing from you because you're all I want. You're all I want. I'm willing to give up every earthly thing in my life. I just want you. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes and be changed any way you want to change me to have all of you, to give all of myself to you so that I can have you. That needs to be our goal. That's all I got. So you're going to do our closing, Chris, without reading it. (laughs) I want this to sound natural. (laughs) <laughs> Can I at least read the... Because you, 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 our, our closing sounds like a, a really bad C movie. You know those movies where like you can tell like the actors, they're staring past the camera because they're looking at, they're looking at somebody holding up the script for them because they okay. didn't even bother to memorize right. it. I don't mean to call you out. I just thought it'd be yeah, funny. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Seems like you've been called out a lot lately. Yeah, it's all right. Maybe, I, maybe that's what I need. <laughs> I'm memorizing it right now. Are you serious? <laughs> I'm going to leave all this in. You're going to get right. the music again. All right. All right. Do, 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 do. Okay. <laughs> do, 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 do. All right. So to all of you out there in podcast land, we hope this has been a blessing. For anything else that you need, questions or comments, please reach out to us on our email at brokenrecordministries.com. At gmail. At gmail. See, I always get that wrong. You're, you're good. We hope this has been a blessing. And we will catch you on the flip side. God bless. Chill out. Pursue Christ. So yeah. I'm not sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. He's the king. He's coming back for righteous war to establish. Yeshua, I'm a shear. You, my Lord, I confess it. If I die in battle for you, that'd be a beautiful blessing. I got the fire in me. Ain't no retiring. I'ma keep looking skyward while I shoot. It's the way that you hardwired me. Ain't either way. I know I'm hitting my target. A train shooter. I know I'm just supposed to aim at the darkness. Where Stand against us if the Lord be for us, I'm ready. You can tell that I'm already.